0: Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the Blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.
1: Hey Scoop listeners, I'm Ashlyn Keeley. I cover regulation and policy for The Block, and I'm on the mic this week to talk about crypto's first insider trading case. Back in September, OpenSea's head of product, Nathaniel Nate Chastain, made headlines for activity that looked a lot like insider trading. In his role at the non-fungible token platform OpenSea, Chastain was responsible for selecting which NFTs would be featured on the homepage. From about June 2021 to September 2021, he allegedly purchased NFTs ahead of their feature on the homepage and sold them, once they were listed on the homepage and the value jumped two to five times from his initial purchase price. When Chastain's alleged scheme came to light, it looked a lot like insider trading or front-running, the practice of profiting off of non-public information. That's not allowed in traditional finance markets, but it's never been taken to task in crypto. What's more, Insider trading is traditionally a securities violation, and NFTs aren't currently considered securities. The novelty of the situation left some wondering if Chastain would walk away relatively unscathed by regulators. Although, to be clear, OpenSea promptly fired him and launched an investigation when the allegations came to light. But then, months after the allegations surfaced, the Department of Justice built a case and arrested Chastain on June 1st. At the time, U.S. Attorney Damien Williams said that NFTs might be new, but this type of criminal activity isn't, and that the DOJ is committed to stamping out insider trading, even on the blockchain. But to take a novel crime to task, the DOJ will have to take a novel approach. Chastain wasn't charged with securities violations, but wire fraud and money laundering charges. I sat down with a former federal prosecutor with experience in insider trading cases to talk about the novelties of the Chastain case and how the case the DOJ is building could affect crypto down the line. Ian McGinley is a former federal prosecutor who spent more than a decade in the Southern District of New York as co-chief of the Complex Frauds and Cybercrime Unit and a member of the Securities and Commodities Fraud Task Force. He's currently a partner at Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld. Thanks so much for being here, Ian.
2: Thanks for having me on The Scoop. Really glad to be
1: here. Awesome. So one of the reasons I was so keen to have you on is you've been anticipating a case like this perhaps longer than others have. At a time when some people were wondering whether someone could be taken to task for securities like violations in the NFT space, you literally published an article in Reuters titled Expect Indictments in the NFT Space Soon. That was in February. What was going on at the time that prompted you to write that article?
2: Yeah, well, I was seeing a lot in the space being reported in terms of frauds, all kinds of frauds, really. There were rug pulls going on. There was the report of the insider trading case. You know, this case was reported on, I think it was in September of 2021 when OpenSea actually, I believe they terminated the defendant in this case. It got me to looking into the space. And I just thought, as a white collar lawyer, it opened up so many fascinating issues. I mean, at first, you know, is an NFT a a security? There were a lot of NFTs being sold for astronomical sums, people making tremendous profits in the space, and also some NFTs being sold as fractionalized NFTs where people could hold parts of NFT, kind of like people would hold a, a share of stock. So that got me really interested in the space. And as a former member of the Securities and Commodities Fraud Unit, I did a lot of insider trading cases and, and looked at the law closely. And when I heard about the open sea issue, I thought, this is a really interesting issue. I'm sure that prosecutors will want to do something, but how will they do it? And so th- that was really a real fascination of mine, how that case would be charged. And as I think, we've all seen, it it was not charged as securities fraud. right? It was charged as wire fraud, which is a theory I flagged in the article because it's probably the one that is the broadest theory that could cover this activity.
1: Right. So let's dive deeper on that because it's an unusual insider trading case, as you pointed out. What kinds of charges would you usually see in an insider trading case that wasn't dealing with something novel like NFTs? And how does the indictment of chastain differ?
2: So this is the first digital asset insider trading case. It's important to remember that insider trading is normally charged as securities fraud. And there's a separate statute for that. And the first principle there, right, is that you have a security. And in insider trading, that is usually always the case. When people think insider trading, you think, Uh, trading on a stock with some inside information ahead of the news, something like that. But there is also a strain of insider trading that's existed for quite a long time. It goes back to the case of Carpenter versus the United States. And in that case, in short, there was a reporter at the Wall Street Journal that got some information ahead of time and tipped off a number of people who made trades based on that information. And that case was also charged, it it was charged as securities fraud, but it was also charged as wire fraud. And the theory used in Carpenter is the theory that SDNY used in the Chastain indictment. And that theory is this. It's actually quite simple. In Carpenter, the idea was that the inside employee at the Wall Street Journal owed the Wall Street Journal a duty of confidentiality with respect to the information that he essentially leaked, right? And the idea is that that information, it it was confidential business information belonging to the Wall Street Journal. And the theory of fraud, it's really interesting because I think when most people think of insider trading, you think of who the victim is and you think it is the market participants that either lost money because they didn't have that information in the trade in this case, in the Chastain case and in Carpenter, actually legally, the victim is the employer. Because in Carpenter, the allegation was that the defendant stole that information from the Wall Street Journal and tipped that information to other people who traded on it. That is essentially the allegation in Chastain. It's that the defendant had a duty to keep the information confidential about which NFTs would be featured on the homepage. And the indictment alleges he signed a written agreement with OpenSea where he acknowledged his obligation to keep that information confidential. And he breached that agreement. It's called a breach of a duty. He breached that agreement by actually using that information, not for the benefit of OpenSea, which is what it is supposed to be used for, But for his own profit by trading ahead of the information and buying the nfts before they were listed on the website so it is a classic carpenter theory i think what's really interesting here though is usually you'll see the carpenter theory added to also a securities fraud theory but here because i think it is really unclear whether nfts are securities and we can talk about that the nfts in this case I think it's unlikely they'd be considered securities because they seem to be of the NFTs that are really just a JPEG image or part of a collection. There's no kind of added value that you get from buying the NFT. And so this is a case where it's a standalone wire fraud charge. And I think that's what makes it different.
1: Right. So I want to push on that standalone wire fraud charge in a minute. But first, I want to look at this carpenter theory and talk about how it relates to OpenSea and the policies they had in place. So basically, my understanding is that the case alleges that Chastain signed a document, perhaps in his employment agreement, or other types of documents related to his employment, that he would not do exactly what he did. <laughs> and and then he did that. Other firms, other you know, burgeoning NFT platforms don't necessarily have the same types of business models in place as OpenSea does. So what might happen? Is that document that OpenSea had their employees sign critical to this case theory?
2: It's essential. And if you see their reports recently, I think in Chastain, they had their first conference before the court and the defense lawyer in that case previewed what will likely be the defense. And there's one defense where this doesn't involve securities, that that's one defense. But the other defense is that Chastain didn't know that this was prohibited, that the policy wasn't clear to him. Now, to your question, I think that just shows if there were no policy on the exchange and there was no other independent obligation for an employee to keep that information confidential, then the theory under Carpenter falls. And it would be, I think, a lot more difficult to make a criminal prosecution. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why exchanges would want a strong policy. And it sounds like, according to the indictment, OpenSea did account for this. But not having a policy could really open exchanges up to private lawsuits for negligence, for failing to prevent insider trading on their exchanges. There's different states have different laws in this regard as to class action lawsuits but you know going back to your original question having a policy in place or some kind of duty to keep this information confidential is essential and if that falls away it's harder to make an insider trading prosecution if not impossible
0: are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust chain analysis is here to help Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, seritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white, and woodland green discover the new collection at iwc.com or download the iwc app to experience a virtual try on now
1: and so now i want to go back to this wire fraud discussion wire fraud seems to be an incredibly broad charge could you give us a little bit of background on on the history of that charge and and how it can be used in so many different ways and how it's being used here
2: yeah. So I think I think a, a great starting place to think about wire fraud is what one of the most esteemed judges in the Southern District of New York, Judge Rakoff, said about it. And he called the mail fraud statute, which is what wire fraud is based on, they're essentially the same. He called the statute a prosecutor's true love and a Louisville slugger in the toolkit of a prosecutor. And the reason he said that is because it is, it is broad. It has been a long-standing statute, and it's been applied to really any kind of scheme to defraud. And, and essentially, if you look at the language, the statute prohibits, you know, any artifice or scheme to defraud by misrepresentations, omissions. If you think about it in in common sense terms, it is essentially lies and omissions when you have a duty to tell the truth in order to obtain money or property. So at its root, it's a very simple statute, and it, it covers, it's not limited to particular industry, uh, it's not limited to a particular way of committing wire fraud. All you need for a federal wire fraud prosecution is any interstate wire or communication, and now with, with email, with, with phone calls, with all kinds of applications, that is easily satisfied. So, you know, wire fraud, we saw it in the insider trading context. It it had been used in a case called USD Dial, where the allegation was someone was insider trading based on futures contracts. And that was before that was outlawed under the commodities laws. And in that case, prosecutors charged wire fraud because they didn't have other statutes that they have now at their disposal. And that withstood challenges in that case. So, you know, just coming back to what Judge Raykov said, it is a statute uh, prosecutors use often and in, in all kinds of different contexts. And I expect we'll see it more in the digital asset space. It sounds like the application of wire fraud here will be challenged in Chastain if, if the reports of what the defense counsel intends to do are correct And if that happens, there'll be a judicial decision on it. And that will be quite interesting because what I noticed when I wrote the article back in February is there's all kinds of allegations of insider trading on NFT exchanges, as well as cryptocurrency exchanges. And recently, I think even this week, we saw news reports that the SEC was investigating uh, cryptocurrency exchanges for insider trading now. Whether all of those tokens on a cryptocurrency exchange or securities are securities or not, that's a very complicated issue. The SEC has said, you know it really depends on the facts and circumstances of each coin. Prosecutors don't really have to grapple with that issue if this wire fraud statute and application in the Chastain case is upheld as being appropriate. And I think I would certainly look now for other NFT exchange insider trading cases to be brought, as well as other cases geared towards cryptocurrency exchanges.
1: And so looking forward, which you've already done a bit here, what other types of cases, perhaps outside of insider trading, what's sort of next in the crosshairs in your view?
2: It's a good question. I think a lot of what you'll see will be garden variety fraud charges applied in this context. So what I mean by garden variety fraud is I think you'll see a lot of actions where the government will allege that purchasers of certain crypto assets, whether they're NFTs or coins, were misled about what exactly they were getting. If you look at the example of the stablecoin collapse, I think there... An area prosecutors, I think, will likely be looking is what were purchasers told about Luna? Was that accurate? Were they misled when they decided to purchase the coins? I think that that's an area that will see a lot of scrutiny in terms of statements and disclosures by exchanges and by particular token issuers. I think you're also going to see, un- unfortunately, and I mentioned this in the article rug pulls because people had the impression that it was easy to get rich in the crypto and the NFT space. I think that is an assumption that is seriously being challenged right now as as these markets are under an incredible stress. But if you look at some ICOs and other assets that come out, they're still popping very quickly. And there is still a market for these assets. And the market is often right at the launch and you know in traditional securities fraud they call that a pump and dump it was essentially where the promoters would pump a a stock based on false promises people would buy the stock at these high prices and then the people that promoted it would sell make off with a huge profit and often actually disappear and so i think if you look at that in the crypto space if you look at nft projects where people were promised, you know, X, Y, and Z. I think prosecutors will look. Was that a genuine promise? Was that what the project founders really intended to do? Or was that just a way to get people in quickly?
1: That makes a lot of sense. And so going back to the Chastain case, is there anything that people can look out for next or next steps that people should keep an eye out for related to that case specifically?
2: I think the Chastain case is a, a warning. It's a shot across the bow, is how I would interpret it in terms of insider trading on digital assets. I mean, the case itself got a lot of publicity in September. So that that is obviously something regulators are gonna pay attention to. I think what's really interesting is if you read the initial press reports, the amount at stake in Chastain was relatively small for an insider trading case. I think it's around sixty-seven thousand dollars. That's usually not what gets regulators particularly interested in a case, because you have limited resources when you're a regulator and a prosecutor, and you're looking to make cases that have the broadest impact in the public. The prosecutors here chose to bring this case, and I think they did that for a reason, even though the dollar value was relatively low. I mean, here the case was against the employee at OpenSea who made according to the indictment, a pretty nice profit. I'd like a profit like that, that quickly. But I think where you're going to see the real big cases now are what's known in insider trading as downstream tippies. So for example, let's say an insider at at OpenSea or any other exchange, not not to single them out, is very close with people at a huge crypto fund. And that insider knows that a token is about to be listed on that exchange and tips that information to the crypto fund, which buys that token in huge amounts before it's listed, and then in an exchange then lists the token and it pops, I think if that conduct occurred, that's where you'll see some really big cases in the space.
1: Great. Well, that's everything that I wanted to cover. Is there anything else you think it's important that we talk about?
2: I think that's it. Yeah.
1: So the DOJ is looking for another home run with its Louisville slugger, wire fraud. And if it knocks it out of the park in the Chastain case, it could look to employ the charge in other types of crypto enforcements. But that depends on how the DOJ's arguments play in the court battle ahead. Keep an eye out for future policy scoop updates and follow me at The Block at Ashlyn Keeley, to see how it unfolds.